Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Center Point. We are going straight into another installment in our series entitled Living It. Advice from God's Word, counsel from God's Word, instruction from God's Word. As Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, it was a letter of great encouragement to some Christians uh, some in the early church who needed to know how to live out the Christian life. We started this series at the beginning of the new year because I want to live out my faith this year. I don't want to just talk a good game. I want to live it, and I think you do too. Well, in this installment, we're going to talk about an important dimension of living out our faith, and that is how we live out our faith on a spiritual battlefield. Today's message is entitled Spiritual Warfare. As you saw from that video, um, we are of the opinion that, as the Bible clearly teaches, that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. There is God is real, and the devil is real. Uh, the devil is a fallen angel created by God to be a beautiful angel in his service, but one day it entered the devil's head that he could be mightier than God himself. And he said, I will set my throne above the throne of the Most High. And apparently he led a number of the angels, a third of them, in a rebellion against God, in a coup against the throne of heaven itself. And that's where the devil and his demons came from, and cast out of God's presence. And they would love to destroy anything that God considers valuable, because they hate God and everything he stands for. And if you and I have surrendered our lives to Christ, we are his children. And if the devil hates God, he certainly hates his children. And so Jesus himself told us to pray that we would be delivered from temptation and that we would be protected from the evil one. The devil's not a myth. He is not a made-up story for children. Uh, the devil is a very real spiritual enemy. And Paul gave clear instructions to the church in Ephesus on how we're supposed to prepare for attacks from the evil one. Today, I'd like to share some of those strategies and some of that advice and some of that counsel that Paul gave the early Christians in Ephesus because those strategies and all that advice and all that counsel still applies today. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you have given us your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, and your word guides us even as we deal with spiritual warfare. I pray that today you'll speak and you'll move me out of the way and teach us the things we need to know about living on a spiritual battlefield. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the words that he wrote down and recorded. And thank you that your word has been preserved so we can learn these valuable lessons too. Teach us, Lord. And let us leave here closer to you than what we came in. Outfit us for spiritual battle. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, there's an insert in your bulletin uh, entitled Spiritual Warfare. Fill in the blank items all through here. So if you want to take notes or fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. If you didn't get a pen on your way in, one of our ushers will be glad to pass one to you so you can take some notes, and I hope you will. Point one on your outline is simply this. The Christians in Ephesus knew they were involved in a spiritual battle. How do I know? Because Luke, the guy who wrote the book of Acts, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, recorded for us what he saw and what he experienced when he traveled with Paul, and they got to Ephesus. Paul uh, had traveled all through what would today be modern-day Turkey and got to the far side, the western coast. He'd started out uh, coming across from Syria on over and uh, ended up on the far side of what would be Turkey today, as I said, at, the, at a coastal city of Ephesus, a port city that was known for its temple to the goddess Diana, uh, or Artemis, and she was the goddess of fertility. And so it was uh, a place where you would go and worship her by uh, having experiences with temple prostitutes and giving alms. 
and making contributions to the temple. And so sailors loved to sail into Ephesus. It was also a place where you could get your fortune predicted and there were people who would channel evil spirits. It was kind of the headquarters in the region for things involving the occult. And so this place where there was lots of prostitution and lots of magic and sorcery and channeling of evil spirits and all this stuff, that's where God brought Paul and Paul started a church there. And so some of these people who'd been former, who were prostitutes at one time left their prostitution. Some of them who had been involved heavily into black magic and the occult, they got rid of all that stuff and they became Christians, followers of Christ and the truth. And so Paul stayed there for a number of years, for three years, getting that church going. And then he went and started other churches. Well, we fast forward in times, six years, seven years later, after he started his church, Paul's in prison, awaiting trial in Rome, and he writes a letter to these people. Now, for you to understand uh, what kind of understanding they had about spiritual battles, I want to jump back to when he first arrived there. So six years, seven years before the letter was written, this is from Acts 19. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town in the area near Ephesus, casting out evil spirits. Now, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly throughout all of Ephesus. And a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. And many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books. They burned them at a public bonfire, and the value of their books was several million dollars. And so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. There were seven sons of a priest named Siva who had been doing this. And they were going around. They'd seen Paul come in. Paul preached in the name of Jesus. The book of Acts tells us that when he laid his hands on sick people through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were made well. Paul proclaimed the gospel with clarity and with power. People had not heard that before. At his command, demons would flee. And so these priests, they thought, well, that's a pretty cool trick. Let's try it. And so they went and found a man that had an evil spirit in him, and they tried to cast out the spirit in the name of Jesus, this fellow that Paul talks about. And they got an answer, and they weren't ready for it. I know who Jesus is, and I've heard of Paul, but who do you think you are? And then with supernatural strength, he pounced on those guys, and they left his house screaming, bleeding, and naked. Yeah, I'm glad somebody thought that was funny. Okay, that's good. They didn't think it was very funny. In fact, the whole place was just overcome. The whole city was overcome with terror. Well, you can imagine. I mean, it would be like nobody ever heard this, and so... Here were these Christians, and they had left this occultic lifestyle. It says that when they heard this, they were aware that, and apparently some of them had, kept, had hung on to some of their old incantation books. You know, these were filled with spells and words you could say to get spiritual beings to do your bidding. I mean, this is what's involved in magic and sorcery. You call upon the names of spiritual beings who have these supernatural powers, and they'll help you have control over your boss. Or they'll help you throw a hex on your enemy. Or they'll help you be younger and more beautiful or have more pleasure in the world because it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And that was the lie that the devil used in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were created in God's image to have fellowship with him. 
And God wanted them to obey him no matter what and trust him completely. So he said, there's one tree in the center of the garden. You can eat the fruit off of the millions of trees, all the fruit you want. Knock yourself out. Just don't eat the fruit off this one tree. And that was the very one that Satan came and tempted them about. I'll tell you why God said that. He said that because he knows on the day you eat of it, you'll be just like him. God's holding out on you. I mean, look at this fruit. It's so delicious. You've got to try some of this. And they ate of it. And the lie of the devil is always the same. You don't need God. God's trying to hold you back. You obey these commandments, you're just going to turn your life into the dullest, most horrible, boring life. He doesn't love you. Hey, follow me. I'll show you how to be truly happy. The way you get happy in life is look out for yourself. Consume everything. Take advantage of people or I'll take advantage of you. Trust no one. Whatever you got to do to get ahead, do it because that's what life's about. It's about pleasure and power. It's about money and things. Relationships are immaterial. Into a world like that is where Jesus came. He said relationships are everything. And you've got to love God first. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul echoed that. And he said no. And when the people saw that power displayed, the true power, they took their books and they threw them in a bonfire And millions of dollars worth of all that black magic junk was burned up in one night. People had left their prostitution. They'd left the occultic practices. They'd tried all that sin, and they'd seen how sorrowful and how horrible their lives had become because they were soaked in it. They said, I want to follow Jesus now, and there was no turning back. And so years later, when Paul's in prison, he's writing to that same group of people, and here's what he said, and this is the second reference in your outline. This is from Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So the Christians in Ephesus knew they were in a spiritual battle, and there's a life application for you and me in this. We are involved in a spiritual battle. This wasn't just good advice for some people who lived 2,000 years ago. This is advice for us. By the way, the devil doesn't age, and he doesn't sleep. And we live in a time where we only put confidence in what we can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. If you can't do that, it must not be real. The Bible says, oh, there's plenty in this world that's real. It's just unseen. And the devil is very real. He's a very real enemy. And he will lie to you and me. And we'll ex- Paul explains a lot of how to deal with those temptations as we go forward here. Here's what Peter said. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Stand firm. But beware, because the devil is real. Now, a couple of things I want to say at this point to make sure that we're on the same page on this. First of all, it's important to remember that though we're talking about that we have a spiritual adversary, the devil, and he is very strong and very clever, and he's unseen and unaging and untiring, although that's all true, I do want to remind us that Jesus is infinitely stronger than the devil. The devil is a created being. 
He is mightier than we are, but he is no match for Jesus. I could show you many passages that illustrate this, probably none that illustrates it better than what Luke recorded in Luke chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples had traveled across the Sea of Galilee, and their boat had beached right next to a cemetery. And in that particular cemetery, there was a madman. He ran around naked, screaming, cutting himself with, cutting himself with rocks. He was possessed by demons in one of the other accounts we find out, or in later in this account, or I didn't record all of it for you here, but Jesus asked the demon his name, and he says, My, our name is Legion. There are many of us inside this man. And so this man was, had supernatural strength. In Matthew's account, it says that the townspeople nearby the cemetery would try to bind him and control him, but they'd even bind him in chains, and he'd break the chains. He was so supernaturally strong, and he'd run out screaming, and so everybody was terrified of him. I mean, this would have been the scariest person you could imagine. I mean, scary beyond all reason. And so listen to what happens when Jesus shows up and their boat lands right at the base of the cemetery. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. Now you'd think that if a man is possessed with demons, when a a preacher, traveling evangelist, healer like Jesus comes along and this scary beyond all reason person comes screaming down the hill out of the tombs yelling at him and who knows what kind of voices that Jesus and the disciples would have gotten in the boat and pushed off to get away from him. And the disciples probably were, by the way. It doesn't say what they were doing. Hey, Jesus, crazy man, 12 o'clock, coming right at us. Let's get in the boat. (laughs) Okay. He's naked. He's screaming. Let's get out of here. We don't know what they said. But we know what Jesus did. He stood his ground. And instead of Jesus running and hiding, the scary man filled with demons fell at the feet of Jesus. And the demons cried out to Jesus, Jesus, don't torture us. So who's in charge here? Jesus. Who's mightier? Jesus. You can say it with me. Who's stronger? Jesus. Yeah. And that's the next verse here. 1 John 4, 4. John, one of the disciples, when he wrote later in his life, he said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I had that blank up there on the note that said Jesus is infinitely stronger than the devil. We'll circle the word greater and draw a line. He's greater than the devil. You can put in any superlative you want. He's smarter than the devil. He's better than the devil. Jesus wins. And so the devil, yes, he is stronger than we are. And you're going to be warned about that today by Paul's teaching. We don't take him lightly. But he is no match for Jesus. And that's why we need to cling tightly to Christ and follow these instructions. Now, another note that I want to make here before we get any further is this. I don't expect most of us, by the way, I don't expect most of us to have a naked man run out of a cemetery at our car on the way home. At least I hope not. I don't expect that most of us are going to encounter a neighbor who comes and beats the pulp out of somebody and they run out of their house naked and screaming and bleeding. I don't expect that. But I will tell you how all of us, according to Scripture, are going to face the devil and his schemes. Today, tomorrow, and the day after that. And that's the next note in your outline. 
we will all face daily spiritual battles over the control of our minds, of our thought life. The Bible warns this, warns us of this. Because if the devil can control our thoughts, well then, if he can control our actions, and if he controls our actions, well, a lot of those turn into habits, and if he gets us into enough habits, well, our whole lives can be ruined. Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, also wrote this in his letter to the Christians in Rome. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And I want to tell you, there is a battle going on for our thoughts. When you ask Christ to come into your heart, he really comes in. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in living it. We talked about how the Holy Spirit comes in. But the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, God wants us to surrender each part of our lives. And so when we surrender our lives to Christ, he comes in. And then we'll be challenged as we grow in the Lord to surrender our time and our money and our relationships and our past and our present and our future and our fears and our hates and our joys, and our loves, and God will constantly be working on us. And you go, well, Lord, it's like you just want me to surrender the whole thing. He goes, right. Because if I have every part of your life surrendered to me, I will turn you into a person you can't even imagine you can become. I created you as my child. I love you, and I have an amazing plan for your life. I mean, again, contrast this with evil spirits who come in to destroy and drive people mad cutting themselves with rocks and screaming and living in the tombs as opposed to people filled with the Holy Spirit who are filled with love and kind words and are helping others. And this is what God has in store for us. And he wants us to follow him. So there's going to be a battle for our thoughts. And that brings us to the next point in your outline, point two, in order for us to stand firm, and there's a couple of blanks to fill in here, so guys, you can leave that up for a little bit. In order for us to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, we must put on God's armor. Now, the Bible tells us we're in a spiritual battle, and I don't want you to miss this first blank here that says we're supposed to stand firm. Those seven sons of that priest named Siva, they went around and found a demon-possessed man, and it didn't turn out well for them. Well, here's what's interesting when Peter was talking about the devil, he said, stay alert. He's like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Paul says, stand firm. And one of the things we often forget is, in a spiritual battle, you and I don't need to go looking for the devil. If you want to engage in a spiritual battle tomorrow, here's all you need to do. Open your eyes and wake up. Because at the beginning of the week, for a lot of us, at the beginning of every day, the minute you open your eyes, all the cares and concerns and the worries of the day, all the things we didn't finish yesterday, all the fears and anxieties of the past, all come rushing at us like wild animals. Ever ha- anybody else have this happen besides me? And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're going, ah! And there's an immediate spiritual battle. What are you going to give in to today? And now you know, by the way, why we recommend that you start, reading your bi- start your day by reading your Bible. And spending a little bit in prayer, a little time in prayer. Because there's a spiritual battle the minute you open your eyes. Uh, a friend of mine did some research on this a while back, and he said it was really interesting about how Eskimos 
used to go hunt polar bears. I mean, these bears live up in the Arctic Circle, above the Arctic Circle, and they're white, and there's snow, and there's blizzards. You can't see them. A lot of times they swim with just their nose sticking out. They're very clever, very fast, great swimmers, incredibly strong, and dangerous predators. And he did some research on this. It was interesting. They said, well, how did these Eskimos ever go hunt a polar bear that could run faster and was almost invisible? And they said, well, they had a secret strategy. They used a chair. You'd take a chair and sit it out on the ice, and you'd sit back to back with your spears. And they said, you don't have to go hunt polar bears. You sit out on the ice, they'll hunt you. The only thing they had to make sure of was is they saw the polar bear before this polar bear saw them. And that was the hard part. You know, it's like to, to be in a, a battle with the devil. You don't have to go looking for spiritual warfare. He's hunting you. He's hunting you like a roaring lion. And later today and tomorrow and next week, there are going to be thoughts that come at you, lies from the devil himself, that God hates you. You've ruined your life. God can never forgive you for your sin. You're worthless. Your addiction can never be overcome. You're powerless. It's too much for you. You are filthy and ruined and wretched and wrong. And don't tell anybody else about your problems because they won't help you. Keep it to yourself. And there are people all around us and they are bound up in fear and guilt and shame and addiction. And they won't get help because there's a constant lie. It's like the whole world. There's like somebody's operating this strategy on people all over the world. Well, somebody is. And the Bible says this is Lucifer, the great adversary, the accuser of the brethren, the father of all lies. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, remember when I was with you? You know that spiritual warfare stuff? It's still going on. Now, if you're going to stand firm against the devil, well, a couple things you need to do. You need to put on some spiritual armor, God's armor. Now remember, Paul was in Rome, in prison, and so for him to talk about spiritual armor as a way to draw an analogy to how we should prepare, well, it wouldn't have been hard for him. He's probably chained up to an extra Roman soldier. Every 12 hours, as widely understood, that every 12 hours they'd switch out a guard on Paul. And so when these guys came in, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, they come in. He's under arrest, and so there's a guard there, and they probably came in, took off their helmet, put down their shield, took off their body armor, their sword and stuff, and sat down. Chained up to Paul. Or maybe they were standing on duty. And so Paul would have been looking at a Roman soldier and all of his equipment when he wrote this. So listen. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, yeah, flip your outlines over. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So Paul's looking at this guy, he puts on this armor. He would have seen them put their body armor on over their head, cinch it down, and then get on a belt that would hold the sword and the body armor and everything in place. There's a life application for you and me in this. Paul's telling them that you and I, telling us, we must live lives of integrity. Righteousness, truth. Look, if you want to be an easy target for the devil and his attacks, if you and I are fudging on our books at business, if we are compromising and looking at filthy junk on the internet, if we are not speaking the truth, we're saying ugly things, 
we are wide open for the attacks of the devil. And so you wore body armor and a belt of truth because this is at the center of who you are to protect all your vital organs from straight on attack. The devil is a liar, a constant accuser, and the lives we live will either strengthen us against the devil's attacks or make it easier for him to defeat us. He says, hey, if you're going to stand against the devil's attacks, make sure you speak the truth. Because nothing, he can cut you off at the knees if you go around telling half-truths and exaggerations and lies. You want to make it easy for the devil to attack you and call you a fraud and a phony? Well, then live a wicked life. Be a hypocrite. And everybody calls you a hypocrite. And the devil himself will call you a hypocrite. I mean, he's a liar and an accuser. He'll first of all tempt us to sin, and then once we sin, he'll talk about how worthless you are. He's got you coming and going. And the last thing he wants is for anybody to acknowledge, hey, we are children of the king. And Paul says, hey, you want to protect yourself? Well, then put on the body armor of righteousness. Live a righteous life and put on the belt of truth. So everything holds together here and stays in place. And then you're not open for easy shots. Secondly, and this is Ephesians 6.15, Paul said, make sure your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The life application there is you and I need to be ready to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus every day. Well, why? Well, obviously, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, hey, here's the great commission. Before he went to heaven, he said, the one thing I want you guys to focus on, above all, the most important part of your job here, the reason you're still here, is I want you to go and make disciples of people all over the world. And these people that you disciple, I want you to teach them everything I taught you. So go and make disciples. This is your primary job. And so if we're going to endure a spiritual attack and we're going to stand firm, Paul said, well, make sure your shoes are tied and they're ready to go. I mean, your shoes are what you need to run to march out and get your job done. Make sure you're ready to go because God's going to open up opportunities for you. And the best defense is a strong offense. If you and I are busy out sharing the gospel, then a lot of those temptations that come our way, we're not going to have time for that. I'm busy doing what God told me. I don't have time for this now. And so if you want to stand firm, make sure you have the breastplate of righteousness on, the belt of truth, so people can't call you a hypocrite and a phony, and your shoes are tied and you're ready to go. You can stand firm. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, by the way, it says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Had a fellow after our first service this morning come up to me afterward and he goes, I love coming to church here. He goes, I've never loved coming to church ever in my whole life. He said, I love coming here. I feel like my eyes are opened up to this. I feel like God just warms my heart. I love coming here. He goes, thank you. He didn't say you have beautiful feet, but he did say, I thank you for sharing God's word. Do you know if you share the gospel with people and you share God's word with people, people who are bound up in sin and fear and guilt and shame, and we have neighbors and cousins and classmates and coworkers just like this, and when they discover that God wants to help them and God has a plan for them and God has forgiven them through Christ and there is eternal life waiting for them someday and there's new life available for them now, they're going to hug your neck and they're going to call you blessed. And they may even say you have beautiful feet. But why wouldn't we want to do that? And we got to be ready because those moments come on us right when we're driving somebody somewhere and they go, hey, can I talk to you? 
right after a softball game and someone comes and goes, I'm going through a hard time right now. You got a minute? You're on a phone call or somebody emails you and says, life's coming apart right now. Or you read a Facebook post, going crazy today, don't know what to do. And if you're ready, you can run right at it. And Paul said, hey, if you want to be able to stand firm in this spiritual battle, make sure you don't get sidetracked off the Great Commission. Be ready. In addition to all these, and this is Ephesians 6, 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. The Roman soldiers carried shields that were three, four, four and a half feet long or tall, about two and a half feet wide. They had a wood frame. It would have been covered in leather. And before battle, they would soak it all in water because they would often face, as they marched into battle, they would face enemies shooting flaming arrows. And the wet leather could put it out. And what was really interesting is, is when you had these shields on both sides of the shields, one side would be a hook and the other side would be a notch where as soldiers marched together, they could actually lock their shields together and they could crouch down and they'd build sort of a wall. And if enough of them got together, they could get all in a circle and protect each other. And even if they were completely surrounded, they had a little fortress that they could move together and make their way to safety. Or get to a hilltop where they would have advantage. Well, Paul's using all this as an analogy for us. He says, hey, hold up the shield of faith so you can stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet. The life application is this. We must trust in the power and promises of God. The reason our faith is like a shield, when we get attacked by lies and deceptions and burning temptations like a flaming arrow, to go back to the way we used to live, our faith can be a shield. The attack can come. You're worthless. Your, your life is meaningless. You're too powerless. You can't fight against this. Our faith can stand up there and go, no, I'm not worthless because the Bible tells me that God is stronger than the devil and that God has forgiven me. It doesn't do any good to tell me that I am worthless and a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for sinners just like me. And so I can stand behind my faith. Well, you're not strong enough to do this. I know, but God is strong enough and I have faith in him. But your life doesn't count for much. But I have an eternal life in heaven, and that's secure for me. And so our faith can become a shield, and our helmet can protect us from the devil's wicked lies and counterfeit thoughts too. Because the other thing he loves to do is he loves to tell Christians, after he tempts us and seduces us to sin, tell us, well, you must never have been a Christian anyway. Wow, if you were a Christian, you never would have given in to that. If you were a Christian, you'd have never said that. And we need a helmet of salvation to protect our thoughts. No. I have been saved indeed by Jesus. And he's working on me. I'm not perfect yet, but every day he's working on me. And he hasn't given up on me. It's not true. And the devil would love for you and me to believe that the God of heaven who sent his son to die for us doesn't really love us. And every time we blow it, he's ready to give up forever. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said this about the helmet of salvation and the shield. He said, let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. We're not mighty, but God is, and we're going to stand firm against the evil one. Yeah, I used to sin that way, but not anymore. Now I've put on the breastplate of righteousness, and that's the truth. And I'm ready to share the gospel with my friends, and I'm not going to be sidetracked. 
I know you're coming. I know that this is a lie, and I'm not going to believe it. I've been warned. God is stronger, and he will protect me. And now you're getting the imagery. And finally, Paul said, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The life application for you and me of that is this. We must fight back using the Bible. When Jesus was tempted, he used the Scripture to to defeat the devil and his lies. When we're being attacked, and we can have all sorts of attacks waged upon us, foolish thoughts, wicked thoughts, doubts and fears, when we have God's Word in our hearts, we can fight back and say, that's not true. This is what God's Word says. And this is why we want you to have a Bible reading plan every day. Please read this. It's stunning to me how many times when I read the Bible in the morning and I spend some time meditating on it and praying about it, how later on that day, that would be exactly what I needed to hear. In fact, sometimes I've read it and I've gone, well, Lord, what was that about? And it doesn't even, it's like, it doesn't apply to me. But then 1030 that morning or two o'clock that afternoon, somebody will come to my office or I'll get a phone call or something and I'll know exactly what to tell them because that's what I read that morning. Has this ever happened to anybody else besides me? Raise your hand high if it's happened to you. Okay, look at all the hands going up. This is why we want you to read your word. It's a sword. It equips us for battle. It's truth. And when the devil comes at you with lies saying, you're worthless, you'll amount to nothing. God can't love you. Other people don't love you. You're worthless. The sins of your past are too great to overcome. You'll never get out of that addiction. Give up now. And some of you are here today and you've heard these lies. Well, I want you to know God's word so you know how to answer the next time those temptations come. And you can quote it chapter and verse and say, that's a lie. And this is the truth. And now I can stand firm and I can fight back and say, I'm not giving ground to this. I'm not going back where I used to be. Imagine Paul is talking to people who had been prostitutes at the temple shrine, which is the biggest, most prominent building in the whole city with male and female prostitutes doing all kinds of immoral acts. He's talking to people who burned millions of dollars worth of black magic and occult book, occultic books. They invested their whole life savings in that. They were starting all over again. And he said, never go back. And the devil's going to make a play for him. Remember, you used to have a good income. Remember, you used to have a nice house. Remember, you used to have people like you. Now look at you. And Paul reminded him, well, you have the love of God now. And those people that said you were friends, they weren't real friends anyway. And you need God's word to fight back so you can stand firm. And that's the picture. Now finally, it's important for us to remember this. In order to stand firm, not only do we need to put on God's armor, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. Paul said, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. The good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I'll keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Hey, this is a spiritual battle and we can pray for each other. This is so important. I hope that, you know, as Paul even said, hey, pray for boldness for me. If you've never done this before, when you come on Sunday mornings, would you pray for me? You could pray, Lord, I just pray that John, you'll organize his thoughts and 
speak clearly. And Lord, please don't let him go so long next week. Just please, you know, help him speed it up. You can pray that too, as long as you pray for boldness. This is God's word. We live in a world filled with lies and deception. And people ask me, they go, so you really believe in evil? Yeah, okay, we live in a world where people walk into schoolrooms filled with kindergartners with automatic weapons and unload on them, and you don't? Oh, there's no devil. There's no evil. Really? In your own life, you don't notice that the very things you don't want to do are the things you're tempted to do all the time? And you don't think it would be any good at all to pray for each other in this? And to cry out that God would protect us? Jesus said, pray that you will not be led into temptation and ask the Lord to deliver you from the evil one. I mean, Jesus talked about this all the time. And it's important that we realize where we are. And that's the last life application. We must battle the devil together. If we're going to stand firm, it was so neat, those Roman soldiers could link their shields and they could make a portable little fortress. That's the whole desire that we have behind connect groups. Oh, great. Here's John's connect group pitch again. Okay, go ahead. Why do we want you in a small group? We want you in a small group for protection from the evil one. Because on the day when you're discouraged, on the day when you're tempted, on the day when you're confused, maybe I'm having a good day. And you can call me. And then when I'm having a bad day, I can call you. Or maybe we're both having a bad day. We can stand back to back and fight them off. We're in this together. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, Paul wrote to the Philippians, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, listen to this, I'll know you are standing side by side, fighting together for one faith, for the one faith, which is the good news. You're fighting like one man. Two people are better than one, Solomon wrote this, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help him up. But someone who falls when they're alone, they're in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided corner is not easily broken. Please get in a small group. I mean, how are you going to pray meaningfully for people you don't know? How are they supposed to pray meaningfully for you if you don't share what's on your heart? And so we just want you to try out a small group where you can get to know people and they can get to know you and you can share your lives together, pray for each other, and stand firm. Maybe I have a scripture that can go, here, use this, this will help. And maybe when you're caving in, I can go, no, let me bring the shield of faith over here. You, here's something you got to understand. It's okay. We're all right. God will see us through. He'll help you find that job. He'll help you overcome this illness. Your marriage is worth saving. Don't give up. Don't give in. Get behind the shield of faith here. We're all right. Come on. It's okay. We'll stand together. The attacks of the devil are coming. He's hunting you. But you and I can stand firm. God has given us armor. Let's live righteous lives and speak the truth and carry the sword of the Spirit and stand behind the shield of faith 
And let's stand together and pray for each other so we can be bold and fight off the attacks when they come. That was Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians so they could live it. That's his encouragement for you and me, too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Paul. I thank you that he wrote all this stuff down. I thank you that you revealed it to him. And I thank you that your word has been preserved all these many years so we can hear about it in 2013. I want to live out my faith. I do not want to be a hypocrite. I do not want to cower in front of false lies and false guilt and fears that could paralyze me and control me and lead me to make all manner of bad decisions. Lord, I want to be godly. I want to be truthful. I want to be courageous. I want to stand for what's right. I want to have my feet ready to share the good news so I can be ready to go wherever you want me to go. And Lord, I want to know your Bible. I want to pray meaningfully for other Christians and I want them to pray meaningfully for me because we're not alone. And I want us to stand firm. It's easy to see the moral decline in our culture. And Lord, I don't want it to attack me and my house and I don't want it to attack any of us here. But we need to stand firm. And so Lord, we're going to need your strength. We're going to need your word. We're going to need each other. In a moment of silence right now, if the Lord spoke to you about any of those things, would you say, Lord, I thank you for reminding me of this today. I needed to hear this today. I want to stand firm. Lord, I can't wait to be able to talk to Paul face to face and talk to Jesus face to face. But until that day, Lord, I pray that we will be found faithful, reading your word, praying for each other, and standing firm. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.